Genesis chapter 37, be seated. And I'm going to read verses just 1 through 11 this morning of Genesis 37. Well, you're familiar with this. Uh, It's got a caption, Joseph's dreams. I'll start with verse 1, reading through verse 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were building sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother And your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Our Father, Lord, because we battle not against flesh and blood, I call upon you. Because I can't do this on my own and my friends cannot do this on their own. We call upon you and your mighty power to break, hold, break down strongholds in our lives. To trust in you, in you more. For you are the sovereign one and trustworthy. We thank you and praise you for your help. We do yearn, O God, for your help. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the story of Joseph is taught in children's Sunday school classes and is greatly loved. It's even been made into a popular modern musical. Many of you have seen it, Joseph and the amazing Technicolored Dreamcoat. I have to confess to you, I love that musical, but one does have to be very careful with Hollywood's take on Scripture. Well, here we are at the beginning of the story of Joseph, but I want to remind you of last week 
That was a great message about prayer taken from an event that happened during the time of Moses. It was, in my opinion, a very important message for our church about where we are and the need for prayerful dependence upon God as we actively fight for the cause of Jesus Christ. Last week's message had much to do with interceding for one another, praying as a church family as we all look up to heaven where Jesus in his finished redemptive work on our our behalf is interceding and praying for us. Praise God. God always answers the prayers of his son. As I mentioned last week, I believe that that message is key for us in moving forward as a church. In fact, to begin this message about Joseph, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to picture in your mind Israel fighting the Amalekites with Moses and Aaron and her interceding in prayer. Do you have that in your mind? Moses is on the mountaintop interceding in prayer. And I, now I want you to consider how far God had taken this nation and what they had become at that particular point. God had delivered them by his mighty hand from Egypt. He had blessed them powerfully with his law and the promise of his presence with them. They were on their way to the promised land. And now, through Moses' intercessory prayer to the God who can and does bring spiritual victory, picture Moses on the mountain, the fight beneath They were defeating the seed of the serpent through prayerful dependence upon God. Now, in your mind, I want you to move from that amazing battle to many days prior to that when Israel was just one small family. Just Picture this one family on a farm living in the land of Canaan where Jacob, also known as Israel, was living with his three wives. Rachel was already dead and 13 children, one girl, Dinah, and and 12 boys. Important is for us to know that the sto- in the story, the oldest of the ten boys at this point were walking in rebellion to God, and that they were a quite they were quite a big handful to say the least. Their father Jacob had grown much in his faith over the years, but much like us. He still manifested some of his old sinful habits and tendencies. I want you to zoom in on this farm, this small farm or this medium-sized farm in Canaan and picture in your mind this troubled families and in many ways this very hopeless family, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking, 
This family was an absolute mess. Can God do anything with families that are an absolute mess? You'd better believe he can. All this family had on this farm was the promise of God to one day become a great nation set apart unto him. That's all they had was his promise. How would God work this out? You couldn't make this up. God graciously and powerfully calls one of the young men, Joseph, to himself. He is just 17 years old at the beginning of this story. And in order to make it known that God ultimately is the one who brings about his promises, he sovereignly used the sinfulness of this family to move young Joseph into a powerful political position in Egypt so that Joseph could both save and preserve Jacob's family and everything that would come out of that family, namely Christ. In this way, Joseph serves as a type of Christ, pointing us to faith in Jesus Christ, the one who saved all of God's people through his redemptive work on their behalf. Now, in one sense, this story we are about to embark upon is the story of Joseph. But don't be limited by that or fooled by that because in the larger sense, this is God's story. And all of Scripture is God's story. He's the hero. Joseph is not the hero. Joseph had to be saved by grace, just like you and me. God is the hero. And this is part of the larger story of redemption when through Joseph, God preserves his people in order that he might work out his greater purposes in Jesus Christ. Joseph even testifies to what God is doing in chapter 50 of verse 20. Before I read that verse, let me set the context for you. Joseph had been exalted at this time to being second in command in all of Egypt. His father was now dead. Jacob was dead. Joseph, I'm sorry, Joseph's brothers were absolutely terrified that Joseph, now that their father was dead, would enact retribution against them for their wickedness against him. So they came to Joseph, sort of like crawling to Joseph, and they bowed down on the ground before Joseph, just like God had given Joseph in the dreams of the sheaves and the stars. And Joseph's brothers begged him for mercy. And here's what Joseph said in chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, my brothers, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You guys 
did great evil against me. But God used what you did to me for good to, keep, to bring me here, to keep you alive and to preserve you. He's a type of Christ. Even the wickedness of Joseph's brothers was intended by God and used by God to save and preserve the people of God. Genesis 45, 5 through 8 fills this idea out even more. And again, you couldn't have made this up. It exalts God above all things. Here in the context, Jesus, I mean, Joseph had the authority to destroy his brothers like that. And he says this in Genesis 45. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are but yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Sovereign grace. Church, God is sovereign over all things and saving a people for himself from the beginning of this to the very end is his story of redemption. Now think about what we've gone through in 2020. These events are not random. God knows exactly what he's doing in order to bring people to Christ and in order to build up his kingdom here in our hearts and in our lives so that we might trust him and that we might trust his government because the government shall be upon his shoulders and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. And in this story of Joseph, God was not just preserving the life of Jacob and sons. He was preserving life for everyone who would ever believe in Jacob's greater son. Now his life is preserved through this event, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was preserving life for you and for me and for our children so that one would come out of the tribe, not, 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 not Joseph's tribe, but out of the tribe of Benjamin. Praise God that these young men and their lives were preserved and they received grace and mercy from God in Jesus Christ. Now, right out of the gate in verse two, we're informed that Joseph was just 17 years old and I am absolutely certain that this young man did not know 
all of the trouble and evil that he was to endure for the glory of God. And it's a good thing he didn't know. These dreams weren't real specific. They, they didn't lay out much for Joseph to know how this was really going to unfold at all. And what I want to do this morning is for us to consider the reasons why Joseph's brothers hated him so much and why these reasons are so important to the larger story of redemption. First, Joseph's brothers hated him because of his godly character. His godly character. Hollywood and even some Bible commentators suggest that Joseph was a big tattletale and that comes through the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. He comes, many say that he's just a, a spoiled brat, a big tattletale, and that's why his brothers had every right to be upset with him. There are some that would say that, and I wouldn't fight them on it, but since God has called me to be your minister, I'm going to tell you I disagree with that. I believe that the text leans toward young Joseph's godly character and his, dis, and, and, and their, his brother's disdain uh, toward him because of that godly character. Now, verse 2 informs us that Joseph was with four of his half-brothers, the sons of Zilpah and Bilhah, and that Joseph had brought a bad report about them back to his father. People conjecture from this that Joseph was a self-righteous tattletale, and that is possible. But I don't believe it's likely. What immediately follows our text today in verses 12 to 14 is that Jacob trusted Joseph to give him a true and accurate report of what his older brothers were doing. After all, the whole family, all these boys were uh, taking care of the family business. And I think it's more likely that they were being negligent in their work for Joseph to bring a bad report about them back to their father. Something that they were actually doing wrong and that was hurtful. There's, there's a big difference in a child self-righteously reporting every little thing to mom and dad that their brothers and sisters do to them. And it gets kind of old. There's a difference in that and an older Christian teen committed to God who only selectively reports to mom and dad harmful behavior or disturbing behavior. That's what seems to be happening in verse 2, especially in light of verses 12 to 14. Jacob was dependent upon Joseph's honesty and helpfulness. 
And what we see throughout all the rest of Genesis is that Joseph is an upright and godly man in all that he does. Of all the characters in throughout the scriptures, there's only a couple that have absolutely nothing wrong, bad said about them. And Joseph is one of them. Doesn't mean that he didn't need a savior. It means that this is the work of God in his saved one after he saved them, saved him, making him a man of conviction and a man of heart. Even at the age of 17. And it's a wonderful thing to see. This is the grace of God in his life. Now, young people, God has not only saved you through the giving of his son. He calls you as one of his saved ones, one of his beloved children to be upright and honest and helpful to your family and helpful to your church family and to learn more and more to die to self and to become all that God would have you to be in Jesus Christ. And when we see our young people, we're so thankful, we're so proud. Here's a 17-year-old young man with conviction that even if he is opposed by 11 other, actually 10, Benjamin's younger than him, 10 other brothers, he does not let it falter. He's pushed to the side. Because he is God's man. When you love Jesus and you let people know it. And when you live out your faith with godly character. It can cause some people. Not all but some in the world to not like you. Because it highlights their ungodly character. And Joseph's brothers hated him because that's what was happening. Because of his godly character, Joseph is later able to lovingly point them to the wonder of who God is and to forgive them and to embrace them and weep with them and help them because he had experienced a God that he fell into his arms saying, save me through your coming Messiah and all your promises, everything you got, give it to me because in and of myself, I am nothing. And he embraced Joseph and they wept together in a sense and God helped him well Joseph's brothers also hated him for his status they hated him for his godly character and they hated him for his status in verse 3 Moses wrote that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other children not a good idea not a good idea. But I want you to see how God used this favoritism, this sin, along with the sin of his brothers toward Joseph, to move Joseph out of the house and into a pit and out of the pit to be sold to the Amalekites. And the Amalekites saw some Egyptians and said, let's sell them to them. And so they did. And Joseph 
was raised up by God to be second in command in all of Egypt. It's just, it's just an amazing God we have. Jacob should have known how harmful to family life this was, favoritism, in his own boyhood. But God's people often grow very slowly in their Christian lives after God saves them. He saves them completely, and that can't, can't be taken away. And it's through faith. But then he takes them, and he remakes them. And it's often a slow process to get rid of old sinful habits. And we're in a battle every single day, Christian. His father Isaac, didn't. don't you remember who he favored? He favored Esau. Who did his mother Rebekah favor? She favored Jacob. And this division sowed tremendous discord in the family. And Jacob continued in that same pattern that his parents had. Verse 3, he loved Joseph the most because he was the son of his old age. I think we can conjecture that he also loved Joseph because Joseph was born of his beloved Rachel. You know, polygamy inevitably causes division and harm. God established marriage to be a sacred union between one man and one woman. And yet God even used the sin of polygamy to bring about his greater purposes in, in Joseph to move him and, and get him where he needed him to be. God's ways are not our ways. Jacob may have also loved Joseph more for his godliness. He was quite different, you know. But the fireworks of hatred really got heated up after Jacob marked out Joseph from all of his other brothers by giving him a very special coat. I don't think most people really understand the significance of this coat. You're not going to get the significance of this coat from Joseph and the amazing Technicolor uh, dream coat. All that most people think is that Jacob gave an absolutely beautiful multicolored coat to his favorite son and it infuriated his brothers. Well, although this kind of favoritism could certainly elicit hatred and jealousy, it was the much deeper meaning of the coat that ruffled their feathers the most. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the original Hebrew, translates the Hebrew here as the coat of many colors. But in most of your Bibles, if you look at the footnote at the bottom, it will have another option, the coat with long sleeves. The coat with long sleeves. Joseph's coat was probably a long-sleeved ceremonial robe that marked Joseph out to receive the family birthright and all the benefits of inheritance and giving him authority over the family that goes with the birthright. Long-sleeved shirt. What do they mean? I don't know what they mean. I'm wearing a long-sleeved suit. 
Maybe, maybe the sleeves went all the way down to the ground. Maybe it was a robe where the sleeves go like this all the way down to the ground, but a long sleeve shirt, uh, uh, coat. In 2 Samuel 13, verse 18, a robe just like this was worn by those in the royal family. And for Joseph, it meant that he was going to receive the family birthright. If Jacob died, Joseph was in charge. Reuben, who was the oldest son of Jacob, Leah's offspring, would normally have received the birthright. But Reuben lost that privilege because of his gross sexual immorality. And 1 Chronicles 5 verses 1 and 2 tells us everything that we need to know here. But it can be easily missed or passed over because it's right in the middle of this horrendous genealogy. 1 Chronicles 5.1, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the, sons, the son of Israel, so that Reuben could not be enrolled as the oldest son anymore, though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, Jesus. Yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. Jacob made Joseph the recipient of this because of sinful favoritism, but God wanted Joseph to be the recipient of this. You remember how Esau wanted, or I'm sorry, Isaac favored Esau. Well, he was wrong. Jacob is wrong in how he's going about this, but we see God's sovereign power and control. It's his story. It's not their story. It's not your story. It's not my story. It's God's story of redemption. And we see it here with Joseph. Jacob has the right guy, but it's the favoritism that is bothering the other uh, brothers. Joseph is the 11th son born. And none of the brothers would have suspected this, but it was God's will. God's will or not, Joseph's brothers hated him for it. Their hatred was so great that verse 4 says they hated him and could not speak peaceably with him. They couldn't say good morning to him. They couldn't say, hey, I know things are rough between us, but have, have, have a good day. What, what'd you, how'd your day go today, Joseph? They could not say one word. This guy was so excluded, so rejected, and yet so strong as a 17-year-old man. And, and the strength only gets stronger because of God's continued sanctifying grace in his life. They couldn't even say hello, hi, how are you doing? Favoring one child over another is wrong and it's hurtful. And of course, the utter hatred of the brothers toward Joseph was sinful also. 
But what we are going to see is that God sovereignly uses Jacob's favoritism and the brother's hatred and the polygamy and the whole shebang to move Joseph and to get Jesus here. The brothers hated Joseph for his godly character and his status. They hated that coat and what it symbolized. And last, they also hated Joseph for the dreams that God gave to him. These were dreams from God. Joseph was God's man. He had graciously called this sinner unto himself and he had prepared him by his grace for this task and for this service. And in these dreams, he showed Jacob, I mean Joseph, that he was to be exalted above all his family. His family was meant to be stirred up. Well, why did he go to him and even tell him the dream anyway? Just think how powerful their knowing this these, about these dreams was when they got to, to him uh, in Genesis chapter 50. Don't be distressed, brothers. God did this so that I might preserve your life and the life of Israel and what Israel would become and the lives of many, many other people besides. He was supposed to tell them, I believe. Verse 5 tells us that it caused his brothers to hate him even more. They couldn't say a kind word. Now they hate him even more. In the first dream, Joseph and his brothers were all working in the field, binding sheaves, and a sheaf, a bundle uh, of wheat, of grain, is, is tied together. And all of a sudden in the dream, Joseph's sheaf stood upright. And now they... Now they hear that their sheaves bow down to him. And they hate him even more than that. In the second dream, which starts in verse 9, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to Joseph. And his father was ruffled. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed bow ourselves to the ground before you? And verse 11 ups the ante even more and says the brothers were jealous. Verse 2, they hated him, couldn't even say hi. Day after day after day. Think about some of our kids in school. College. Standing strong. Verse 5, they hated him even more. Verse 8, they hated him even more. Verse 9, they were jealous of him. His brothers were at a fever pitch of hatred for Joseph because of his godly life status and the dreams that God had given to him. Now let me close with these few thoughts. As we look to the story of Joseph, we have to keep God's faithfulness to his promises in mind to preserve his people from spiritual death. And he did this by dying on the cross. Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ, preserving God's people, but pointing to Jesus, who would be God's 
beloved son who would preserve us from eternal hell so that we might be preserved through his righteous life and atoning death. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. If you have Jesus through simple faith because you recognize the horror of your sin and the fact that you could not pay the price of your sin and justify a holy God. If you have seen what your sin deserves, eternal hell, and then you see Jesus, run to him. Because if you have Jesus, you have absolutely everything. You know, that's not what our culture is saying. And every difficulty that we go through in our culture says, you know what? Our freedoms might be taken away and this or that. I love our freedoms and I love our country. But they ain't nothing compared to that city whose foundations were made by God. And in the gospel, we have life and we are more than conquerors. We are citizens of heaven. And we are persevering because God in his sacrifice on our behalf. Can you say he died for me? He died for me. He lives for me. That is the gospel story. And this is all about Jesus. He who has the son has the life. You can't preserve your own life spiritually through death. Your children can't preserve their own lives spiritually through death. You need a savior. Just like Joseph's brothers did. Just like Joseph did. For all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Have you ever broken the sixth commandment by hating someone sinfully? Well, then you can't even get to first base in regard to salvation and God's grace. He is the door. You have to go through him in order to get to heaven and have your life preserved and have your life saved. Look in no other corner. Open no other door. Listen to no other cult. They're all false. And they'll all tell you if you're good enough, you can go to heaven. And that is a lie. He's the Savior. Your name is not Savior. He's Emmanuel. God with us. We are not little gods. And we need Jesus. And we need to trust in him alone to save us from our sins. Isn't it interesting how absolutely evil these brothers were toward Joseph? And it reminds me that he came unto his own and his own received him not. And it reminds me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us. And then because I'm a good person, I chose him. 
He died for God's people. He died for wicked, sinful worms. And it's by grace completely that we're saved. And, and, and faith is a gift. It's not of works. He did everything necessary to fulfill God's plan for him. And what a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus who preserves us. I think it's also interesting that Joseph's rejection by his brothers sets a pattern that runs through the Old Testament and culminates at Calvary. I've already alluded to this, but Joseph was called to be the deliverer for his brothers and and their children, and yet they rejected him. Moses was called to be the deliverer of God's people, and they rejected him. Jesus, the ultimate deliverer of God's people from their sin. And he was rejected by those he came to save. And third, did you notice that although Jacob rebuked Joseph for his dream that, that Jacob and his wives Uh, and brothers would all bow down to the ground to him. Did you notice that he says this, in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. Jacob was a child of grace. The brothers, their time is coming. Does that remind you of anything, though? Does it remind you of the shepherds that came to Mary at Bethlehem who told Mary about her child as the angels had told it to to them? And, And the word says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Are you pondering these things in your heart? Are you weary? Are you pondering these things in your heart? Are you treasuring them in your heart? We have a great God. It's his redemptive story. And it's all about Jesus. Last, I want to remind you that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And we can trust and obey him. Come what may. There is today an assault on the church in the United States. We see it in America. It's not just upon Christians. But there is an assault on the church in the United States of America. Could it come to our little Bethlehem? Has not God been gracious to prepare us for whatever lies ahead? I'm not hoping for evil. I'm hoping for for something better than that and praying for peace. But nonetheless, he wants to grow us up as he did Joseph. His ways are higher than ours. Let's submit to this Holy One and give him praise today. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Only that which is true, sealed to our hearts. And may this story not only 
point us to Jesus and the salvation that we have in him. But the amazing grace that continues from that point on in every child of God's life for God to graciously build us up and to make us more uh, people with hearts of conviction and uh, steadfastness, come what may. Though we be shunned, though we be persecuted, come what may, may we be a trumpet for all of the world to hear of the great things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray it in His name. Amen. Well, let's respond then. Thank you. And let's turn to page number 426.